0: Chapter Twenty Five of Charlie to the Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Charlie to the Rescue by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Twenty Five shows how the seaman was sent on a delicate mission and how he fared. Shank said Charlie one day as they were sitting in the sunshine near the outlaw's cave waiting for Dick and the Scout to return to their midday meal. "'It seems to me that we may be detained a good while here, for we cannot leave Ralph, and it is evident that the poor fellow won't be able to travel for many a day.' "'If ever,' interposed Shank sorrowfully. "'Well, then, I think we must send down to Bull's Ranch to see if there are any letters for us. I feel sure that there must be some, and the question arises, who are we to send?' you must not go Charlie. whoever goes you are the only link in this mighty wilderness that connects ralph and me with home and hope weak and helpless as we are we cannot afford to let you out of our sight well but if i don't go i can't see my way to asking the scout to go for he alone thoroughly understands the ways of the country and of the indians if any should chance to come this way besides considering the pledge he is under to be accountable for buck tom I doubt if he would consent to go." "'The question is answered, then,' said Shank, "'for the only other man is Dick Darvall.' "'True. And it strikes me that Dick will be very glad to go,' returned Charlie, with a smile of peculiar meaning. you think he's getting tired of us, Charlie?' "'By no means. But you know he has a roving disposition, and I think he has a sort of fondness for Jackson, the boss of the ranch.' "'It was found—' when the question was put to him that Dick was quite ready to set out on the mission required of him. He also admitted his fondness for a roaring bull. "'But what if you should lose your way?' asked the Scout. "'Find it again,' was Dick's prompt reply. "'And what if you should be attacked by Indians? Fight em, of course. But if they should be too many to fight? Why clap on all sail, and give em a starn chase, which is always a long one. For this purpose, however, I would have to command a good craft, so I'd expect you to lend me yours, Hunky Ben." "'What—my Polly?' "'Even so—Black Polly.'" The scout received this proposal gravely, and shook his head at first, for he was naturally fond of his beautiful mare, and besides doubted the sailor's horsemanship, though he had perfect faith in his courage and discretion. Finally, however, he gave in, and accordingly, one fine morning at daybreak Dick Darval mounted on Black Polly and armed with his favorite Winchester, revolvers, and cutlass, set sail down traitor's trap to visit his lady-love. Of course he knew that his business was to obtain letters and gather news, but honest Dick Darvall could not conceal from himself that his main object was Mary Jackson. Somehow it has come to be supposed, or assumed, that a jack-tar cannot ride. Possibly this may be true of the class as a whole to which Jack belongs but it is not necessarily true of all, and it certainly is not true of some." Dick Darvall was an expert horseman, though a sailor. He had learned to ride when a boy before going to sea, and his after-habit of riding the white horses of the Norsemen did not cause him to forget the art of managing the buckers of the American plains. To use his own words, he felt as much at home on the hurricane-deck of a Spanish pony as on the forecastle of a man-of-war so that the scout's doubt of his capacity as a rider was not well founded tremendous was the bound of exultation which our seaman felt then when he found himself on the magnificent black mare with the fresh morning air fanning his temples and the bright morning sun glinting through a cut in the eastern range soon he reached the lower end of the valley which being steep he had descended with tightened rein on reaching the open prairie he gave the mare her head and went off with a wild whoop like an arrow from a bow Black Polly required neither spur nor whip. She possessed that charmingly sensitive spirit which seems to receive an electric shock from its rider's lightest chirp. She was what you may call an anxiously willing steed, yet possessed such a tender mouth that she could be pulled up as easily as she could be made to go. A mere child could have ridden her, and Dick found in a few minutes that a slight check was necessary to prevent her scouring over the plains at a racing speed. He restrained her, therefore, to a grand canter, with many a stride and bound interspersed, when such a thing as a rut or a little bush came in her way. With arched neck, glistening eyes, voluminous mane, and flowing tail she flew onward, hour after hour, with many a playful shake of the head, and an occasional snort as though to say, This is mere child's play. Do let me put on a spurt. It may not be fair to credit such a noble creature with talking, or even thinking, slang, but Dick Darvall clearly understood her to say something of the sort, for after a while he reduced speed to a kind of india-rubber walk, and patted her neck, saying, "'No, no, lass. You mustn't use up your strength at the beginning. We've got a longish trip before us, Polly, and it won't do to clap on all sail at the beginning of the voyage.' At David's store Dick stopped for a short time to obtain a little refreshment for himself and Polly. There he found a group of cowboys discussing the affairs of their neighbors, and enlarging noisily on things in general under the brain-clearing and reason-inspiring influence of strong drink. To these he recounted briefly the incidents of the recent raid of the troops into Traitor's Trap, and learned that Jake the Flint had drifted south into Mexico, where he was plying the trade of cattle and horse-stealer, with the usual accompaniments of that profession—fighting, murdering, drinking, etc. Some of the deeds of this notorious outlaw, as narrated by the cowboy crux, who happened to be there, made the blood of Dick run cold, and Dick's blood was not easily made to run otherwise than naturally by any one, except, of course, by Mary Jackson, who could at all events make it run hot, also fast or slow, very much according to her own sweet will. But the seaman had no time to lose. He had still a long way to go, and the day was advancing, remounting Black Polly, he was soon out again on the prairie sweeping over the grassy waves and down into the hollows with a feeling of hilarious jollity that was born of high health good nature pleasant circumstances and a free and easy mind nothing worthy of particular notice occurred after this to mar the pleasure of our sailor's voyage over the prairie until he reached a belt of woodland through which for half a mile he had to travel here he drew rein and began to traverse the bit of forest at a quiet amble, partly to rest Polly, and partly that he might more thoroughly enjoy the woodland scenery through the umbrageous canopy of which the sun was sending his slanting rays and covering the sward with a confused checker of green and gold. And here Dick Darvall became communicative—entered into conversation, so to speak, with himself. After a few minutes, however, this did not prove a sufficient outlet to his exuberant spirits. "'Come, Dick! he exclaimed, give us a song. Your voice ain't perhaps much to speak of as to quality, but there's no end of quantity. Strike up now. What shall it be? Without replying to the question he struck up rule Britannia, in tones that did not justify his disparaging remark as to quality. He reached the other end of the wood, and the end of the song, at the same time. Britons, shouted he with unalterable determination, never, 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 shall be Redskins this unnatural termination was not an intentional variation it was the result of a scene that suddenly burst upon his view far away on the prairie two riders were seen racing at what he would have styled a slant away from him they were going at a pace that suggested fleeing for life redskins arter somethin murmured dick pulling up and shading his eyes from the sun with his right hand as he gazed earnestly at the two riders no n- no they're whites he continued one of them a man, t'other to a woman. I can make that out anyhow. As he spoke, the racing riders topped a far-off knoll, halted, and turned round as if to gaze back towards the north, the direction from which they had come. Then wheeling round as if in greater haste than ever, they continued their headlong gallop and disappeared on the other side of the knoll. Dick naturally turned towards the north to see, if possible, what the two riders were flying from. He was not kept long in doubt for just then a band of horsemen was seen topping the farthest ridge in that direction and bearing down on the belt of woodland along the edge of which they galloped towards him there was no mistaking who they were the war-whoop sounding faint and shrill in the distance and the wild gesticulations of the riders told the story at once to our seaman two pale faces pursued by a band of bloodthirsty savages unskilled though he was in backwoods warfare Dick was not unfamiliar with war's alarms, nor was he wanting in common sense. To side with the weaker party was a natural tendency in our seamen. That the pursuers were red and the pursued white strengthened the tendency, and the fact that one of the latter was a woman settled the question. Instantly Dick shook the reins, drove his unarmed heels against the sides of Polly, and away they went after the fugitives like a black thunderbolt, if there be such artillery in nature a wild yell told him that he was seen howl away ye land lubbers growled dick you'll have to fill your sails with a stiffer breeze than howlin before ye overhaul this here craft just then he reached the crest of a prairie billow whence he could see the fugitives still far ahead of him suddenly a suspicion entered the seaman's mind which made his heart almost choke him what if this should be mary jackson and her father their relative size countenanced the idea for the woman seemed small and the man unusually large in desperate haste dick now urged on his gallant steed to her best pace and well did she justify the praises that had been often bestowed on her by hunky ben in a very brief space of time she was close behind the fugitives and dick was now convinced that his suspicions as to who they were was right he rode after them with divided feelings tremblingly anxious lest mary should fall into the hands of their ruthless foes exultantly glad that he had come there in time to fight, or die if need be, in her defense. Suddenly the male fugitive, who had only glanced over his shoulder from time to time, pulled up, wheeled round, and quickly raised his rifle. "Hallo! Get on, man! Don't stop!' Dick yelled in a voice worthy of Bull himself. Taking off his hat, he waved it violently above his head, and as he spoke he saw the woman's arm flash upwards, a puff of smoke followed and a bullet whistled close over his head next moment the fugitives had turned and resumed their headlong flight a few more minutes sufficed to bring dick and the black mare alongside for the latter was still vigorous in wind and limb while the poor jaded animals which mary and her father rode were almost worn out by a prolonged flight dick darval exclaimed jackson as the former rode up i never was gladder to see any man than i am to see you this hour though but for my mary i'd surely have sent you to kingdom come her ears are better than mine you see she recognized the voice and knocked up my rifle just as i pulled the trigger but i'm afeard it's too late lad the way in which the man said this and the look of his pale haggard face sent a thrill to the heart of dick what do you mean he said looking anxiously at mary who with a set rigid expression on her pale face was looking straight before her and urging her tired pony with switch and rein i mean lad that we've but a poor chance to reach the ranch with such knocked-up brutes as these of course we can turn at bay and kill as many of the red devils as possible before it's all over with us but what good would that do to mary if we could only check the varmints there might be some hope but jackson exclaimed the seaman in a firm tone i'll do my best to check them god bless you mary goodbye heave ahead now full swing as he spoke Dick pulled up, while the others continued their headlong flight, straight for the ranch, which was, by the way, only a few miles distant. Wheeling round, Dick cantered back to the knoll, over which they had just passed, and halted on top of it. From this position he could see the band of about fifty Indians careering towards him and yelling with satisfaction, for they could also see him—a solitary horseman, clear-cut against the bright sky. Dick got ready his repeating rifle. We have already mentioned the fact that he had learned to load and fire this formidable weapon with great rapidity, though he had signally failed in his attempts to aim with it. Being well aware of his weakness, he made up his mind in his present desperate extremity not to aim at all. He had always felt that the difficulty of getting the back and front sights of the rifle to correspond with the object aimed at was a slow, and in his case an impossible, process. He therefore resolved to simply point his weapon and fire. Surely, he muttered to himself even in that trying moment, surely I can't altogether miss a whole bunch of fifty men and horses. He waited until he thought the savages were within long range, and then, elevating his piece a little, fired. The result justified his hopes. A horse fell dead upon the plain, and its owner, although evidently unwounded, was for the time hors de combat. True to his plan, Dick kept up such a quick, continuous fire made so much noise and smoke that it seemed as if a whole company of riflemen were at work instead of one man, and several horses on the plain testified to the success of the pointing as compared with the aiming principle. Of course the fire was partly returned, and for a time the stout seaman was under a pretty heavy rain of bullets, but as the savages fired while galloping their aim was necessarily bad. This fusillade had naturally the effect of checking the advance of the Indians, especially when they drew near to the reckless man, who, when the snap of his rifle told that his last cartridge was off, wheeled about and fled as fast as Black Polly could lay hoofs to the plain. And now he found the value of the trustworthy qualities of his steed, for instead of guiding her out of the way of obstacles he gave her her head, held tight with his legs, and merely kept an eye on the ground in front to be ready for any swerve, bound, or leap. That might be impending. Thus his hands were set free to recharge the magazine of his rifle, which he did with deliberate rapidity. The truth is that recklessness has a distinct tendency to produce coolness, and there is no one who can afford to be so deliberate, and of whom other men are so much afraid, as the man who has obviously made up his mind to die fighting. While Dick was loading up, Black Polly was encouraged by voice and heel to do her best and her best was something to see and remember. When the charging was finished, Dick drew rein, and trotted to the next knoll he encountered, from which point he observed with some satisfaction that the fugitives were still pressing on, and that the distance between them and their foe had slightly increased. But the seamen had not much time to look or think, for the band of redskins was drawing near. When they came within range he again opened fire, but this time the savages divided, evidently with the intention of getting on both sides of him and so distracting his attention he perceived their object at once and reserved his fire until they turned and with frantic yells made a simultaneous dash on him right and left again he waited till his enemies were close enough and then opened fire right and left alternately while the indians found that they had outwitted themselves and scarcely dared to fire lest the opposite bands should hit each other having expended the second supply of ammunition dick wheeled round and took to flight as before of course the mare soon carried him out of range and again he had the satisfaction of observing that the fugitives had increased their distance from the foe one more check of this kind thought dick and they'll be safe i think while thus thinking he was diligently recharging and soon cantered to the top of a third knoll where he resolved to make his final stand the ranch was by that time dimly visible on the horizon, and the weary fugitives were seen struggling towards it. But Dick found, on halting and looking back, that the Indians had changed their tactics. Instead of directing their attention to himself, as on the previous occasions, they had spread out to the right and left and had scattered, besides keeping well out of range. "'What are the sinners up to now?' muttered the seaman, in some perplexity. He soon perceived that they meant to go past him altogether, if possible, and head towards the fugitives in separate groups. "'Aye, but it's not possible!' exclaimed Dick, answering his own thoughts as he turned swiftly, and stretched out after his friends. Seeing this, the savages tried to close in on him from both sides, but their already winded ponies had no chance against the grand Mexican mare, which having been considerately handled during the day's journey was comparatively fresh and in full vigor shooting ahead he now resolved to join his friends and a feeling of triumph began to rise within his breast as he saw them pushing steadily onward the ranch however was still at a considerable distance while the indians were rapidly gaining ground at that moment to dick's horror the pony which mary jackson rode stumbled and fell sending its rider over its head but the fair Mary, besides being a splendid horsewoman, was singularly agile and quick in perception, for some time she had anticipated the catastrophe, and, at the first indication of a stumble, leaped from the saddle and actually alighted on her feet some yards ahead. Of course she fell with some violence, but the leap broke her fall and probably saved her neck. She sprang up instantly, and, grasping the reins, tried to raise her pony. It was too late. The faithful creature was dead. Jackson, pulling up, wheeled round and was back at her side instantly. Almost at the same moment Dick Darvall came up, threw the mare almost on her haunches, leaped from the saddle, and ran to Mary. As he did so, the crash of a pistol shot at his ear almost deafened him, and a glance showed him that Jackson had shot his horse, which fell dead, close to his daughter's pony. "'Kill your horse, Dick,' he growled sharply, as he exerted his great strength to the utmost and dragged the haunches of his own steed close to the head of the other. It's our only chance. Dick drew his revolver and aimed at the heart of Black Polly, but for the soul of him he could not pull the trigger. No, I won't, he cried, grasping the lasso which always hung at the saddle-bow. Hobble the forelegs. There was such determination in the sailor's command that Jackson felt bound to obey. At the same moment Dick bound the horse's hind legs. He fully understood what Jackson intended, and the latter was as quick to perceive the seamen's drift. Seizing the reins, while his friend caught hold of the lasso, Dick cried, "'Out of the way, Mary!' and with a mighty effort the two men threw the mare on her side. 1st rate!' cried Jackson, while his companion held down the animal's head. "'It couldn't have dropped better. Jump inside, Mary, and lie down flat behind your pony. Let Mary have the reins, Dick. She knows how to hold its head down without showing herself.' Even while he was speaking, Jackson and Dick leaped into the triangle of horses thus formed, and crouching low, disappeared from the sight of the savages, who now came on yelling with triumph, for they evidently thought themselves sure of their victims by that time. "'Are ye a good shot, Dick?' asked Jackson, as he gazed sternly at the approaching foe. "'No, abominably bad. Fire low, then. You may catch the horses if ye miss the redskins.' "'Anyhow, you'll hit ground if you aim low, and it's wonderful what execution a bullet may do arter hittin' Mother Earth.' "'I never aim,' replied the sailor, "'only a waste of time. I just point straight and fire away.' "'Do it, then,' growled Roaring Bull, with something that sounded like a short laugh. At the same moment he himself took quick aim at the foe and fired. The leading horse and man immediately rolled upon the plain. As both men were armed with repeating rifles, the fusillade was rapid and most of the savages, who seldom fight well in the open, were repulsed, but several of them, headed apparently by their chief, rode on fearlessly until within pistol-shot. Then the two defenders of this peculiar fortress sprang up with revolvers in each hand. "'Lie close, Mary!' cried Jackson as he fired, and the chief's horse rolled over, almost reaching their position, with the impetus of the charge. The chief himself lay beside his horse, for another shot had ended his career. As two other horses had fallen, the rest of the band wheeled aside and galloped away, followed by a brisk fire from the white men, who had again crouched behind their breastwork and resumed their rifles. Bullets by that time were flying over them in considerable numbers, for those Indians who had not charged with their chief had, after retiring to a safe distance, taken to firing at long range. At this work Dick's rifle and straight-pointing were of little use, so he reserved his fire for close quarters, while jackson who was almost a certain shot at average ranges kept the savages from drawing nearer lie closer to the pony miss mary said dick as a shot passed close over the girl and whistled between him and his comrade were you hurt in the fall no not in the least don't you think they'll hear the firing at the ranch father ay lass if there's anybody to hear it but i sent the boys out this morning to hunt up a bunch of steers that have drifted south among wilson's cattle and i fear they've not come back yet see the reptiles are going to try it again as he spoke the remnant of the redskins who pressed home the first charge having held a palaver induced the whole band to make another attempt but they were met with the same vigor as before a continuous volley at long range which emptied several saddles and then when the plucky men of the tribe charged close the white men stood up as before and plied them with revolvers so rapidly that they were fain to wheel aside and retire. Ammunition's getting low, said Dick, in an anxious tone. Then I'll waste no more, growled Jackson, but only fire when I'm safe to hit. As he spoke, a distant cheer was heard, and looking back they saw with a rebound of hope that a band of five or six cowboys were coming from the ranch, and galloping full swing to the rescue. Behind them, a few seconds later, appeared a line of men who came on at a swinging trot. "'Troopers, I do believe!' exclaimed Jackson. "'Thank God!' said Mary, with a deep sigh of relief, as she sat up to look at them. The troopers gave a cheer of encouragement as they thundered past to the attack, but the Indians did not await the onset. At the first sight of the troops they fled, and in a few minutes pursued and pursuers alike were out of sight, hidden behind the prairie waves. "'I can't tell you how thankful I am that I didn't shoot the mare,' said Dick, as they unfastened the feet of Black Polly and let her rise. I'd never have been able to look hunky Ben in the face again arter it." "'Well, I'm not sorry you spared her,' said Jackson. "'As for the two that are dead, they're no great loss. Yet I've a kind of regret, too, for the poor thing's served us well.'" "'Faithfully, even to death,' added Mary, in a sorrowful tone, as she stooped to pat the neck of her dead pony. "'Will you mount Miss Mary and ride home?' asked the sailor. "'Thank you, no. I'd rather walk with Father.' We have not far to go now. Then we'll all walk together," said Jackson. Dick threw Black Polly's bridle over his arm, and they all set off at a smart walk for the ranch of Roaring Bull, while the troops and cowboys chased the redskins back into the mountains whence they had come. End of Chapter Twenty Five.